Grace, mercy, and the peace of God be with you this day as we celebrate all that God has done for us, for his people, for his creation. This morning we start a new series about prophecy and parables. It's going to be a brief time where we look at just a few readings in Isaiah's prophecy and pair them with some gospel readings from Matthew in chapters 21 and 22. Um, Today we're looking at one, well, a, a pair, and both have to do with a vineyard. We looked at this same text from Isaiah in chapter 5, the Song of the Vineyard, back on April 1st, which we were already doing uh, virtual worship at that time. But there is more to learn here. There's always more to uncover, more to discover. So let's dig in. Whether it's uh, agriculture or archaeology, you can learn a lot in the dirt. When I grew up, I I lived... uh, on a property in southwest Ohio that's been in my family for generations. We had 28 acres, and a number of those acres had apple orchards and some other fruit trees on them. It was a good location. The soil was was dark and rich. Things could grow there pretty easily. The orchards were planted generations ago as well, and so some good, old, mature apple trees on the hillside, produced a variety of apples. So come August, September time frame, and then through much of the fall, there were apples to be picked. There was work to be done. Rolling hills, a couple of ponds, enough rain, but not too much. Sometimes a frost in the spring that came late enough that it could impact the peach crop for the year. That was always disappointing but for the most part, a good place to grow fruit. Today, as we look at Isaiah chapter 5 again, we see the vineyard is a pleasant planting. Those words pleasant planting come from verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord, his pleasant planting. God creates and provides for his vineyard, for his creation. Verses 1 and 2 from Isaiah 5 say this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. So Isaiah the prophet begins vocalizing this song about his beloved, who is God, we learn in the song. And Isaiah sings these words, My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. Everything that is needed is provided. The location is ideal for growing grapes. You probably, if you're local or maybe even if you're not, have seen vines on a hillside. You don't have to go too far from here to get to vineyards. There's one actually about maybe 10 minutes up the hill. It's on the hillside, and there are vines growing and and wine produced from those grapes. Quite good. Go a little further, uh, kind of that way, and you can reach Livermore, and there's, I don't know, 60-some vineyards in Livermore. Somebody's probably going to update that number in in the comments just to make sure that we have the right credit for the Livermore wineries, and we've been up there tasting 
several times, and, and the wine there is good. And, of course, if you go north into Sonoma and Napa, the ones that haven't been impacted by fires, produce some of the best and most famous wines in the world. So locally, we understand what it looks like to have a fertile ground and the right kind of conditions, the cool air, and enough moisture but not too much to grow some really good grapes. That's what this vineyard is like. In the gospel parable, a, a very close parallel to Isaiah chapter 5, Jesus says this, that there was an owner who rented out his vineyard, and the vineyard is already built. There are things in it. He, he planted it. He dug it. There was a watchtower and a wine press. Jesus somehow seems to know Isaiah chapter 5 because it's so close. So everything is provided for both of these vineyards that we can imagine. When I was a kid, my grandpa had a garden. My mom's dad. And he grew a variety of fruits and vegetables. He hadn't been a gardener when he was working because his work took him away from the home for enough time that he didn't have a lot of time to invest in hobbies. But once he retired and he had time to do things, he got into gardening. And boy, did he ever get into gardening. He grew things on most of their yard and then across the property line, down the hill a little bit, there was a, an open space, and he got permission to expand his garden into that space. And then further down, there was a neighbor who wanted to grow some things but didn't quite know how, and so he ended up basically raising a garden there too. And he grew all kinds of things, but what I remember most were some of the, the distinct parts of his garden, tomatoes, and how he did that. He would prepare to grow those in the winter. He would take the seeds that he had saved from the prior year and dried out and cared for over the winter, and he would start them planted in a, in a box, in a tray, in the basement under a light. And he would water them and care for them and planted them in rich planting soil so that they had all the nutrients they needed and they would sprout and begin to grow there in the basement. And then come spring, he would take them outside and carefully dig and plant those small tomato plants. He created and provided for those tomatoes. He cared for those small plants that would produce fruit. And with any garden, the owner has expectations. With my grandpa's garden, there were expectations of what would grow and when it would be ripe. Come spring, there would be strawberries hanging on vines in his garden. And tomatoes would eventually bear fruit. And zucchini and other fruits and vegetables. And he seemed to have something that he had grown throughout the growing season. Throughout the year, not over the winter, of course, but for much of the year, he had things that his garden was producing, and we got the benefit of that. We got to eat some of those fruits and vegetables. Isaiah's song continues. At the end of verse 2, it says this, He, being the, 
vineyard owner looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Growing up in the, the orchards, we expected there to be apples. We expected, well, we hoped most years for there to be peaches. And if you never tasted a peach that comes right off the tree and you eat it within minutes or hours of it being picked, it's a lot different from what you pick up in the produce section at the grocery store. But many times, because the ground was so fertile where we were, other plants would grow, sometimes with other fruit. There was one year that uh, some blackberry vines had grown up in the, close to the, an apple tree and basically used it like a trellis and, and grew up into the tree and expanded and exploded out to the, to the exterior of this tree. And so we had a tree, an apple tree, but the fruit on it looked like blackberries. And those were some of the best blackberries I've ever had, rivaling Oregon blackberries that Paula grew up with. The big ones, right? tasty, juicy blackberries. Much of the time, wild fruit, though, isn't as good. There's a reason why in these vineyards locally and all the successful places where they grow grapes for wine, they're really careful about what they plant. They don't just prepare the ground and see what comes up. What kind of grapes might grow here automatically? What might grow here just from, you know, birds flying overhead who've eaten grapes somewhere else? <laughs> the wild grapes were not good. In the gospel reading, the tenants return no fruit. And so then there's a question, what more could be done? Verse 4. Now God is speaking. God seems to interject into the song of the vineyard. And at verse 4, he says this, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? We second-guess our failed efforts, don't we? When Paula and I and Max was real little at that time, we, we had a house in Ohio, about 10 minutes from where I had grown up. And so it was soil and land that I knew, and I knew tomatoes could grow in this dirt because of my grandpa's garden, and, and I thought, well, I should do that too. So behind our house, there was a flat area. It was a nice rectangle. It looked perfect to have a garden. So I, I borrowed my grandpa's rototiller, and I went out there, and I gassed it up and started it up, and I spent probably about... I don't know, enough time to make my arms and shoulders sore for a few days afterward, tilling that ground and, and churning over that soil so it would be ready to plant tomatoes. And I think there were other fruits or vegetables that we tried to plant as well. And, and I'd go out and I'd water them and I'd make sure that, that the garden was cared for and it was going to produce. And eventually there was just a little sprout, just a tiny little plant. And I was hopeful and I had expectations. And then it got a little bigger. And then even a little bigger. And then one day, I don't know, it might have been a Saturday mid-morning, I walked down to my garden to see how my little plants were faring, and they were gone. All of them had been eaten by something. Maybe a deer, maybe a rabbit, I'm not even sure. 
That land had no fence. That garden was not protected. And I realized there was more to gardening than just digging and planting. There was other things that needed to be done. I tried to grow things here. And I know things grow here because, well, there's a lot of people around that are growing gardens. I was not that successful. What did I do wrong? What more could I do? Gina's done some gardening. And this year, put more time and effort into it than ever before. And that garden has produced this year. Not quite to what she was hoping for, I think, or expected. But this was a difficult year with some excessive heat for a stretch and some dry conditions and the smoke just kind of affecting everything. So she's already talking about plans for next season. Some raised beds, some additions to our automatic irrigation system. We second-guess our efforts that don't pan out the way we want. God asked that question, what more was there to do? But in Isaiah, it's a rhetorical question. Because God has already done everything. It was a good vineyard. The location was ideal. The hedge was there. The wall was there. The wine vat was ready. But the people have not done their part. See, Isaiah is not writing about people. No, I'm sorry, not writing about a vineyard. He's writing about people. It's the house of Israel, the people of Judah. We learn that in verse 7. It's a prophecy, and it's a parable at the same time. Isaiah's words, inspired by God, are using this agricultural image to identify issues among God's people. And there are issues among God's people. People continually turn away. People are quick to forget God's blessings. They're easily distracted. People do what is wrong. Verse 7, at the end, It says this, he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. In the original Hebrew language, it's a bit of a play on words that Isaiah is doing here. He looked for mishpat, but found mishpach. For sedekah, but tzaakah. So you can hear the similarities between those two sets of Hebrew words. Maybe in our time, it would make more sense for us to hear words like this. He looked for caring, and behold, carnage. For charity, but found cheating. Words that have some similar sounds that kind of connect these ideas. That God looks for his people to be about his business, be doing the things that he calls them, he calls us to do. But he's finding other things. Finding us busy with other works. In the gospel reading for today, the tenants were to care for the vineyard and to return the fruit. But we know from that reading, what were they doing? They didn't send the master's Share And when messengers came, when servants came, they mistreated those servants and killed the son. Embedded in this parable is Jesus' own prediction of what will happen to himself 
God has nothing left but an appetite for destruction. There's a price to pay for failure. After that failed growing season in Ohio, I didn't try a second time. I could have built a fence. I could have run a long hose line to the garden so that I could water it easily. There's many things I could have done, but I chose instead to let it go back to to yard. I didn't plant grass. I just let the grass nearby expand and cover it. And when I use the word grass, I'm being generous. It was clover. It was some grass, I'm sure, and other weeds mixed in. It was what we called yard (laughs) there. God declared that his vineyard would grow wild, would go wild. This is what he says, verses 5 and 6. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Destruction, the vineyard of God, this pleasant planting, was going to go back to the wild. There are sections of the orchard where I grew up that, because of a lack of time and, um, and not enough effort being put into maintaining these sections of the orchard, that wild trees have grown up and made the, the tractor paths difficult, if at best, some can't be navigated anymore. There was a part of the dam at the the one pond that has eroded enough that it's difficult to get the tractor back across there. And so some of these places that were orchard are turning into woods. Apple trees growing in the midst of other trees. Isaiah's prophecy about this vineyard was looking ahead to when God's people would be consumed by Babylon. When literal walls would be broken down and people would be carried off by Babylon. Exile, punishment for what they had done. In the parable, the Pharisees are asked, what will the owner do when he comes back and visits his vineyard? For those tenants who haven't returned the portion of the fruit that the owner deserved and mistreated the servants and killed the son, what will the owner do? And the answer is he will bring those wretched tenants to a wretched end and rent the vineyard out to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop. Sometimes we get what we deserve. It's easy to look at ancient Israel or at the Pharisees, but what about us? In our times of injustice, of racial discord, of marginalized people, of suffering, of economic disparity, of vision, of hate, and that's what we see looking externally. What about when we look internally? What about our own biases, our own judgments? our own difficulty to do the things we should do, and we know we should, but instead, the evil we don't want to do, that we keep on doing, to paraphrase the Apostle Paul. 
And we can find within ourselves attitudes that are selfish. Times that we have trampled on the will and the word of God. Sins that we've committed, and it's not too difficult to remember them. What do we deserve? Is it right for us to only expect goodness and mercy from God? See, God is just in promising destruction. But we also receive the promise of restoration. See, God doesn't leave his vineyard alone. If we read Isaiah chapter 5 in this song of the vineyard, we might think that God let the vineyard grow back to the wild and never came back. But we know that there's more than just this immediate context. That Isaiah was preparing people for exile into Babylon, but those people returned from Babylon. That God was telling people that judgment is real, but also his justice and mercy would rule and reign. That what Isaiah saw in the near term was fulfilled for God's people, but also there was more to the story in the distance, 700 years in the distance, because there was more than planting and pruning. Our Lord planted his feet in the fertile soil of Palestine in the person of Jesus. When he visited his vineyard, he sowed the seed of hope in a dry and weary land when he spoke to people in parables about what was to come and what was happening in their time. And he gave his life for us who haven't cared for his pleasant planting, who haven't done what we should have done, and yet to redeem and rescue us, laid down his life on our behalf. So he gave the vineyard a new lease on life through his death in our place. The cornerstone has been set to build up what was torn down, to restore what was broken to rescue and redeem that which has been exiled. For you and for me, that we might receive his grace and mercy, that we might receive life in his name, and so that we might bear fruit by the grace of Jesus. Connecting these ideas of vineyards and vines, we pick up in John chapter 15, verse 5, these words, from our Lord, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That's what our God calls us to, is bearing fruit. The fruits of the Spirit, the love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control that the Apostle Paul talks about. These are the fruits that we can bear in Jesus' name. By the power of the Spirit, dwelling within us, connected to the vine who is Jesus, grafted in by the power of his grace, we bear the fruit that he calls us to bear. So we can be about justice and righteousness. We can return 
to the vineyard owner the fruit that he deserves. Let's live in gratitude for what our Lord has done for us, for the blessing of the vineyard of God, to the glory of his holy name. Amen.